0: You're listening to Second Breaks, the show where we talk about feeling better, doing better, and being better in midlife and beyond. I'm Lou Blazer. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Second Breaks. Today, we are talking about instigated change. Specifically, the kind of change that truly flips your world upside down. And guess what? You're the one who's making it so. It's one thing when you're going through life quakes, as Bruce Feller calls it in his book, Life is in the Transitions. And you know, the things that are happening are sort of happening to you, and it feels like you have very little control over them. It is a totally different experience, a different scenario altogether, when you are the one instigating the change, when you're the one who's deliberately rocking the boat, so to speak. I I know a little something about that kind of bold, (laughs) if I may say so myself, though, you know, others might call it insane moves. I've got several of those stories of seemingly risky moves or hairpin turns or pivots that I've made in my life. And they didn't all turn out Great. I mean, some of them did turn out great for me in the end, but some were flops, uh, and some were just so so. But they all, you know, they've gave me lots of battle scars, lessons learned, and if I'm being honest here, which I am, they've also gave me the self confidence that comes from knowing that I'll somehow land on my feet. And, you know, I've come to regard this season in our lives, midlife, as a kind of a fresh start, or rather we can choose to approach it as a fresh start. This is a time in our lives, as good as any, I suppose, but, you know, this is a great time to pause and really review where we are and... Think about how we want our second half of our lives to work out, to pan out, and then really refocus our energy towards that. And to many of us, that means some kind of a change, changing some some area of our lives. Now, sadly, as much as the vision of our future of ourselves for ourselves can be exciting, many of us would rather look away from that vision because we're not willing to go through the pain of rocking our world as it exists today. I suppose one of my goals for this podcast has always been to encourage you not to look away, to feel emboldened, to move towards the direction of your vision of your best life or best self, however that looks for you. That's why I often bring stories of reinvention and rebirth and transformation so you can see other people's experiences, their why, their what, their, you know, the how of it all. And hopefully through their stories, you can find your own path forward too. That's the intent anyway. (laughs) Today, I introduce you to Lori Seitz who went through a major life makeover of her her own making. As she told me, you know, things were fine, just fine. And she probably could have just limped along with the just fine. But losing her mother made her rethink that position and pushed her to make changes in her life that may have been, you know, painful at the time, painful to go through. But at the end, they all worked out for the best, for her, and for all involved. So here's a bit of introduction of my guest. Lori Seitz is the founder of Zen Rabbit and the host of the podcast Fine is a four-letter word. She's an award-winning writer, speaker, and broadcaster. Segue here, meaning goals <laughs> for myself, I mean. Um, Anyway, back to Lori. She guides business professionals who are finished living in a dumpster fire to a place of unprecedented clarity, peace, and productivity. Using a collaborative approach, she teaches people how to be grounded and centered, which leads to improved relationships, increased sales, and better overall health. Okay, let me step out of the way so you can hear Lori's story, and I'll catch up with you at the back end. I am very curious about your story. And I so I just wanted to dive into the deep end of things, if you don't mind. Let's do it. On your website, you talk about two significant moments that were like lifequakes, like major change events that happened to you, almost one after the other, if I understand correctly. One of them has to do with the closing of your 11-year-old company, your business. And there was something that you said there that really struck a chord with me. You said that at that time, your identity was wrapped in this business. Can you like take us back to that moment, Lori? And what what's going on in your mind then? What were you thinking? And how were you, what were you feeling? All that kinds of stuff.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a lot of entrepreneurs lose themselves for lack of a better phrase, in their business. The business becomes who you are. It's your identity. It's how you define yourself Mm -hmm. because you're so invested in it that you don't necessarily have a life outside of that. And so that's what happened to me. I mean, I put every ounce of energy into running that business and, and working to make it successful. And... It still didn't, we'll say, "quote unquote," work. It didn't. It didn't uh, create the results that I was expecting or wanting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, when I had to close it because I couldn't scale it the way I wanted, it was like, "Okay, who am I now?"
0: What was the decision making? Process like for you, like it must have been difficult to let go of something like this that is so integral to who you are.
1: Absolutely, it was. And I have an amazing entrepreneurial friend. I have more than one, but this one, Christine, had said to me at one point, This is like watching you in an abusive relationship. Because every every month I'd be like, Okay, well, if I just go to this trade show. Everything will turn around. If I just send out this direct mail, if I just learn how to write copy better, everything will turn around. Like it was always the next thing was going to be the thing. And so that took several months to sink in Uh, and really until I finally went, yeah, you know, I think she's right. Like there's no saving this. I need to suck it up and close it and just stop trying to save it.
0: So when when you reached that decision, when you said, okay, okay, I'm going to close it. Had you already reconciled this whole, I'm no longer going to be a business owner?
1: <laughs> no, I hadn't, but I also didn't know what else to do with it. So I went, all right, well, I guess, I guess I'm just going to shut it down and figure it out. And at that same time, there was the other incident that you were Talking about. Yeah,
0: exactly. One last thing before we go there, because not at the same level at all, but um, when I left corporate America, my identity was also tied into my corporate career. Mm-hmm. And for a while, I didn't know how to introduce myself. I kept saying, I used to be, I was before, I was a former thing. I used to, you know, kind of refer to my old life. Did that happen to you? Were you doing that? Or yeah. did you assume a new way of introducing
1: yourself immediately? No, it's hard because because then, right, who are you? And so I actually ended up, and I'm skipping ahead a minute here, but I after I closed that business, a couple years later, I ended up starting to teach networking strategies. And one of the things that I've still talked to people about, I don't, that's not my main focus now, but is asking when you're at a networking event or a party or whatever it is, To stop asking the question, what do you do? It's the worst question possible because for many reasons, but in the context that we're talking about, what do you do? Well, I I don't really do anything anymore. It's kind of the way you're set up to answer it, you know? So the better question is, what are you excited about working on now? Or what are you excited about, you know, what are you involved in that lights you up? Mm -hmm, Those mm -hmm. are such better questions, whether you're in a business environment or not. Because then it doesn't matter what you do. And most people answer that question anyway with a, a title, like I'm a financial advisor or, you know, I do, the, I, I run this business. Like it doesn't really tell you anything about who they are, which is really what you want to learn.
0: Do you, do you have any advice for anybody who's kind of in transition who gets asked that question? And what's the better way to respond?
1: Yeah. Turn it around. Exactly. So if somebody says, so what do you do? What I'm really excited about right now is, Ah. and you don't have to wait for them to ask you that question. Just answer it that way.
0: Got it. I love that. So even if the question was phrased that way, you respond with, I'm really excited about. I love that.
1: Yeah. And I remember having a conversation with somebody years ago who was in that same kind of transition of work and she didn't really have a job. She didn't have a business to talk about. And someone asked her that question. And I remember her telling me, she said, well, I'm really into yoga. What do you do? What, you know, what do you do? I do yoga. And she just started talking about her passion for yoga. And I'm sure it completely threw the person off (laughs) because that was not the answer they were expecting at all. Right? (laughs)
0: But the funny thing is, it's the kind of question that you're not really thinking about it. So if I ask you, what do you do? And you start talking about, well, I'm really passionate about yoga. And you start talking about yoga. I'm probably just going to go along with your story anyway. Right. Right? Right.
1: (laughs) Right. So you have the power on both sides, whether you're asking the question or answering the question, just take control of that conversation.
0: Absolutely. At the same time, if you are stuck in a conversation with somebody who is... Only wanting to talk about their work. You can ask that you can insert that mm-hmm. question too and turn your yep. things around. I love that question. Thank you so much for that tip. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> All right well, the other major life quake that happened in and around the time that you were closing your business was the ending of your 20-year marriage.
1: <laughs> that actually was not where I thought you were gonna go. Because oh. at the same time that I was closing the business, my mom was diagnosed with an acute form of leukemia. That oh, actually happened at exact at the same time. So that switched my focus on closing the business to m- dealing with that and then managing her estate.
0: Oh, I so. see. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and, yeah, there was a, a lot. <laughs> there was a lot of life quakes happening yes. in and around
1: the same time. Yes, yes. So right. So that happened.
0: So it kind of took your focus away out of, away from yourself into, yeah. Exactly.
1: And in a way, you know, the universe works in, in mysterious ways. Everything always works out the way exactly the way it's supposed to. If I had been still running that business, I wouldn't have been able to manage the other stuff for her and after that. So That's the right. timing really was I guess, you know, ideal if you want to like yeah. say that, but it, it worked yeah. out. And yeah. then, right. So then the marriage part, that was those two things the passing of my mom, because she was only 73. Mm. That's what caused me to start thinking do I want to live the next 20 years the same way I lived the last 20? I see. And what am I going to do differently? And again, not that the, the first 20 were terrible, they were not. However, what do I want to do now? Like, how do I want to strategically move forward? And that's Mm -hmm. when I started thinking about the whole marriage thing. It took me still four years, four more years, because his mom passed away uh, a couple years after mine. And Mm -hmm. so we were relying on each other for that emotional support. Mm -hmm. But that marriage had been fine Mm
0: -hmm. for a
1: very long time. It was fine, which makes it really difficult to leave a relationship that is fine, a job that is oh, fine. Just fine, yes. It's fine. How do you leave fine? Like nobody's abusing anybody. It's not, you're not in awful pain. It's just fine. But your soul isn't singing and joyful every day either.
0: Exactly. You know, a couple of things there, Laurie. One was, I loved the part of the story where you started asking yourself some questions. And I find that sometimes that's, you know, like a lot of, a lot of us, let's just include ourselves into this thing. But a lot of us, sometimes we just go in automatic mode. We just get up, we do the thing, the same thing that we did yesterday and the month before, whatever it is. And before you know it, you've lived five years of just doing the same thing. But it's, but when you ask those kinds of questions, like, what do I want out of my life? What do I want more of? It's all of a sudden you come up with all kinds of. Oh my God, I want to change certain things. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah, Did you start realizing. And somebody I um, I know posted a few weeks ago on on one of the socials that a lot of people say life is short. She was redefining it as life is finite, and I like that so much better it is we none of us know how much time we have is it 20 years is it 20 days is we we have no idea and so how can you live your life as if you have you know one year in my in my program that i that i work with people one of the questions i pose is if you had one year left in your life like you knew that you were given that one year you're not You don't have an illness or condition that can be cured. You've just been given one more year. What do you do? What do you start doing? What do you stop doing? And why aren't you doing those things now? Yeah.
0: And it's also, I don't know what you think about this, Lori, but I think with that kind of question, it's more difficult to live with the just fine stuff. Yeah right? Because mm-hmm. it's it's when you know, I only got a year. Am I just going to be okay with this just fine thing?
1: Yeah. Oh my God. Are yeah. you going to be content? Uh, there's a difference between content and complacent. Yes. So are you going to be complacent and just let things happen around you? Or right. are you going to proactively find the things that bring you joy?
0: Were there any feelings of you know, because going back to the thing about it's so difficult to leave mm-hmm. things that are just fine mm-hmm. uh, when you can't pinpoint a massively wrong thing going on, right? Yeah. Were there feelings of guilt? Were there feelings of, why am I doing this? Am I, what am I just, you know, those kinds of stuff? Second guessing yourself? A thousand percent,
1: yes. <laughs> that guilt was so heavy. Mm-hmm. So, so heavy because... I was breaking up a relationship that we had been married for 22 years. We'd been together for almost 30. So most of my adult life, pretty much all of my adult life. How do you leave that? That's a lot, There's a lot of safety and security wrapped up in that. And yeah, the guilt. We both knew that this relationship wasn't serving either one of us anymore. And yet, I don't think he ever would have taken the initiative. And so I did it. And yeah, there's a lot of guilt around that. Like, well, could I have worked harder to make it work? What could we have done differently? What if I did this? Did I, did I give everything I had?
0: What if we give it one more year? Right.
1: Right. What, what if I come back in and I really focus on yeah. being a better person and all of this? And yet, you know, after 22 years, it's not like I gave, I had given up at really any of the points. I mean, I feel like I, I kept that same question about, you know, the, it's like, it wasn't abusive relationship at mm-hmm. all. But if I just,
0: mm-hmm. if I no, just, yes, yes. No, yeah.
1: There's yeah. not, there's not, it's better for both of us. And so a couple of years after I left, he, and he and I are still on amicable terms mm-hmm. and we still, uh, I wouldn't say we're friends, we don't hang out, but mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. there's no animosity. I I had gone to him, we were having a conversation, and I said, you know, I really, I really miss us mm-hmm. because in the beginning it was so good. Like we were such a good uh couple, like we were mm-hmm. so good for each other at the at the beginning. And he said, at this point, we would have to sacrifice too much of who we are as individuals to make it work. And I don't know that he knows what a gift that was, because yes, there's a difference between compromising in a relationship, which you need to do at some point, but compromising who you are as an individual, not okay.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I could imagine that I I know for a fact, I know people in my life who would say things like, but Lori, isn't it better to be someone, you know, isn't it better than to be alone, you know, or like, are you ready to be alone again? Why would you want to be alone again? And that kind of stuff. Did you, were you, were you having to explain? Although it's, it's sad that sometimes we have to explain our decisions to other people, but like, were you having to explain?
1: No, I wasn't having to explain. And to address that, there was a lot of being alone in that relationship. Yes, right, right. So, yeah, so is yeah. it better to be alone in a relationship or to be alone when you're actually alone? And and there's a difference there between being alone and being lonely as well. And I've never really been a person to be lonely, but I have spent a I spent a lot of time alone already. And so leaving that to then grow into who I have become was definitely the right choice. Although it's hard to see that in the moment because you don't know what's on the other side. You know everything here is fine. What's it like on the other side? Like you're standing over the edge of a cliff about to jump off. Am I going to grow wings? What's going to happen? Or am I going to crash into the rocks on the bottom? I don't know what's going to happen. But you have to have that faith.
0: Which leads me to my question about you know this is kind of one of those things to your point that we wouldn't know as it's happening but it that must have either you were already a very resilient person or you became very resilient as a as a result of the almost back to back things that were happening it, it, within those you know 5 8 year period
1: yeah i, I think that answer is both mm. there was resilience already and then there was more developed
0: yeah Oh my goodness. So what was the journey like when, for lack of a better phrase, not to say that you were at the bottom, but like the feeling of, okay, I've lost my company, I've closed my company, I've lost my mom, I'm not married. Like what, how did you, what was that feeling like? And what was the journey like out of that state?
1: So after I closed my company and after my mom passed away, I went back in, I have a background in marketing and I went back and worked for a company. As a consultant, but I was still working as the director of marketing for this company. So I was able to get back into working, but I wasn't running my own thing at the time. That's kind of like the, uh, what do you call it? Like that stepping stone point. Although I knew I would eventually go back into running my own company, but that allowed me to kind of rest and make some money and Mm -hmm. come back to it.
0: Get back on your feet, Get, sort of thing. Right,
1: right. And that's when, and then I um, launched the company where I was teaching the networking strategies, and then I left the marriage.
0: Uh-huh. So I see, I so, see. Yeah. But during that time, when, when you went back as a director of marketing, you knew that you were going back to start a business again at some point.
1: I didn't know what it was, but I knew yeah. that as I mean, once you become an entrepreneur, it's really hard to go back in and work for somebody else, which is why exactly. I did not become an employee of that company and I was just a consultant because mentally I needed to not have that that like identity of being an employee I couldn't do it
0: <laughs> Hey hey we're gonna get back to the show just now. I just wanna mention quickly that this podcast is made possible by Midlife Cues. Now, Midlife Cues is a weekly digital newsletter for midlifers or anybody who self-identifies as a midlifer, really. And it's about intentional living and being our best in the second half of our lives. I invite you to give it a try. Head on over to midlifecues.com, that's midlife, C-U-E-S, one word, dot com, to sign up. Okie dokie. All right, let's get back to the show. So you were talking about when you closed your company, there was an identity sort of crisis situation happening. Did that same sort of identity crisis happen when you ended your marriage? No. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, it is. I never thought about that, and I've never been asked that question before. But no, mm.
0: there wasn't.
1: There was, like we said, a lot of guilt, a lot mm-hmm. of uh, pain, and uh, uh, questioning. Could mm-hmm. could I have made it work if I understood? So, not mm-hmm. only did I leave my marriage, I moved all the way across the country from Virginia to California uh, for a year, and then I because did I that need- make it easier or harder? <laughs> It gave me better perspective. I don't think if I had just moved out of the house and moved to Mm -hmm. a different place in Virginia in the same area that it would have been enough perspective. Like I had to go all the way across the country and be that far away to to get the perspective that I needed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that allowed me the distance physically and emotionally to process all the things that I was thinking through, like, yeah, um, you know, could could I have made it work now that I understand after a year of being away, like, understand all the things with this new knowledge. Maybe it could be different, but it couldn't be different because, you know, um, there's a guy named Peter Krohn. He's known as the Mind Architect. I found him on Instagram. He has a quote that um, what happened happened and couldn't have happened any other way. Because it didn't. Oh, my God. I love that
0: quote. Mm-hmm. That hit me. And also, it's so... It really... It's... Um, what's the term? It's like it's uh, liberating almost. Yeah. Like, there's no more question about what if I did this? What could have happened? Like, because it didn't. Yeah. And you just yeah. move on. You just, right. You if, if it was yeah. meant
1: to play out in a different way, it would have.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Can you talk a little bit about um, like support that you were getting at that time? Were you seeking therapist help or like what kind of support system that you have in place?
1: I believe very strongly in people's ability to choose support and to get support. And there's no shame around getting therapist, getting coaching, any of that. I did not go to a therapist. I, I used my friend's which is not always the best way to go because your friends, I talk about this too, um, thank God for my friends because I would not have made it through without them. They were an enormous support system. At the same time, friends are not always objective because when you start talking about things like leaving a marriage, it it makes them look at some things in their relationships that maybe they don't want to see. Uh, it makes them question things in their life that maybe they don't want to see. And so finding a coach or a therapist is a really good idea. I just didn't do it. I did I didn't do like conventional therapy. I did work with coaches and energy. A lot of people I look I look at people who do energy healing like uh tapping and reiki and those kinds of things. So I went through some some uh, sessions with people who do that kind of thing, but not traditional therapy.
0: It's interesting when you talked about your friends, um, Laurie, because that was the other paragraph that struck me when I uh, saw it on your website that I thought, oh my God, I've never seen it phrased that way. I am going to read it just for the purposes of our listeners because I thought it was very insightful. You said... Many of my friends and colleagues felt similarly stuck. We talked about it all the time, but no one was willing to make a move. That's the thing about friends. They're willing to commiserate with you when you're all in the same boat. But pushing you to make a change can be scary for them because it forces them to deal with their own crap. I read that, uh, Lori, and I said, I swear to God, I stopped I read it. I read it again, but I'm, cause no, it's so true. I think you said something that is truly, truly a fact, but I've never read it. I've never heard it said that way before. Um, because this thing about commiserating with friends, cause in a way that's support, mm-hmm. right? In a way that's being able to vent, being able to just cry with someone. Um, it, it's wonderful to have friends who will sit with you and cry with you and not necessarily offer solutions because sometimes it's what we want, mm-hmm. we need, right? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily offering solutions or advice. Just please sit with me as I cry, mm-hmm. right? But this thing about when we're making a change, it reflects back on them and it makes them maybe question when they're not making similar you know, asking them some similar questions. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. What made you make that observation?
1: It's just something I've noticed. And because like you said, everybody has has felt it, but not necessarily phrased it in that way. And then the interesting thing is that after I left my marriage, three of my friends left theirs (sighs) within months. It was almost like, all right, you go first. You didn't burst into flames? All right, I'll go. <laughs> or or
0: like, you know, like I'm just imagining like if if I'm seeing someone making strides or asking some themselves difficult questions, it sorts of strengthens me to ask similar questions of my life, and who knows what kind of answers I get, right? Which, Which is-, is another which is another thing about asking questions, because sometimes maybe that's why we don't ask questions, because we're afraid of the answers that we're going to find.
1: That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, that's why a lot of people <laughs> don't want to ask the questions, because they don't want to know the answers.
0: Right. The whole thing about don't rock the boat. It's fine. Don't rock the boat. Don't yeah. ask too many questions, Lori. What's the matter with you? Right. I guess... uh Not to say, I don't want to, how do I phrase this? Because I don't want this to make it sound like we're promoting people ending their marriages or anything like that. But if you... If today, if you were talking with someone and this person seems to be not entirely happy or maybe in a just fine sort of thing, would you say something to them? Would you, would you advise them or would you prompt them to ask certain questions? How would you advise them to?
1: My advice to people who are in that situation is to get quiet and listen to your own inner voice. This is Mm. part of the reason why I teach meditation. Mm-hmm. In the way that I do, which is different than a lot of people. But my main reason the, that for teaching people the tool of meditation is to allow them to get quiet enough to hear their own inner voice, their own inner truth. We are so used to hearing all the voices outside of us, social media, traditional media, our family, mm-hmm. our friends, our society, all the voices that drown out and distract us from our own voice. Mm-hmm. What is it? What is your inner truth telling you? Because you're the only one who can hear it, mm-hmm. and it will never steer you wrong mm-hmm. if you are willing to listen and follow.
0: Yeah. And
1: the other, the other way to say that is your, it's your intuition. Mm-hmm. You know, Wayne Dyer uh, had a, a a phrase that prayer is us talking to God, mm-hmm. and intuition is God talking to us. Mm. So whether you believe in God or the universe or a higher power, whatever you call it, that's what your intuition is. Mm -hmm. And so when you can get to that place where you can hear it, is Mm -hmm. it telling you? What is it telling you? It's not always telling you to leave. And and I don't advocate that when I work with people. It's not always like, oh, well, you have to leave. Mm -hmm. What is it that your inner voice is telling you? And listen to that.
0: And also, I don't know what you think about this, but Sometimes, especially if you're not used to asking yourself mm-hmm. uh, these kinds of questions, sometimes you ask and you don't know you you don't hear, or maybe right. because you're not used to listening to yourself, right? Yeah. And so sometimes it takes time it, to hear yourself.
1: Absolutely, it always takes time, and mm-hmm. so sometimes it's meditation, sometimes it's journaling, sometimes it's a combination. It could be gardening, it could be running, biking, mm-hmm. whatever it is that gives you that that space to hear. And it definitely is not one ti- a one-time thing. Well, I didn't hear it today, so it must not be talking to me ever. <laughs> you keep going back and you practice. This is why meditation is called a practice. Right? <laughs> you keep practicing and you get the, the, you tune in better and better and better every time. And
0: then at, I guess at some point... This is the kind of thing where it's so hard to explain to someone or I have a hard time. You'll probably have a better, uh, an easier way to explain it. But at some point in your asking, you will get to a point where this is it. This Mm -hmm. is the answer. Mm -hmm.
1: And you will know. And oftentimes when you get that knowing, you're still going to question it. You're going, really? What? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. Are you sure? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and this is where, again, that trust, that faith comes in and mm-hmm. other people may may look at you and go, what are you, are you crazy? Everything's fine. What are you doing?
0: Yeah,
1: right. No, this is what I'm hearing that I need to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I've got to do it regardless, again, of what other people think you yes. should do. Because yeah. other people are making uh, choices or making um, recommendations based on their experience and their fears. Yes, that's Not right. yours, their own fears.
0: It's almost like it's what they would be willing to do, which right. may not be what you're willing to do or what you wanted to. So yes, exactly. Yeah. I, somebody had said something like, something around every single advice is subjective. It's always through the filter of someone. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, just remember that anytime you're hearing, if you know, advice, even if it's from your mom, whoever it is, it's always through a filter, and so
1: it is always um, through a yeah. filter. It's a lot of times they are saying it because they think that it's in your best interest, so they're coming yes. from a place of love and care, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean it's the right thing for you. Still, you.
0: yes, exactly. Can you tell us because you've talked about how you teach people? You teach people networking at one point and you teach people uh, meditation and at some point you refer to yourself as a marketer. What do you do? <laughs> I'm asking the question the that you question. said
1: we shouldn't ask. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I really want to know. I, I'm gonna be a marketer through and through until I die. <laughs> but because that's part of of who I am and it's my makeup. But what I do now is I am on a mission to teach the world to be calm and grounded no matter what's going on around them. I see. Okay. How do you do that? Through that coaching, is, through, right. So it's kind of a, a coaching consulting hybrid program ah. that I have. So the program is called F being fine. Mm-hmm. And under that program, I am, there's what I call the trilogy for success. And that trilogy is gratitude. Connections and under connections is that connection to yourself, getting getting to hear your own inner voice, meditation, and other techniques, and courage. So gratitude, connections, huh. and courage are the, the trilogy for success.
0: Okay, got it. And so do you work? Do you work with uh, mainly one on one with people, or through a group? I I do
1: co- private co- coaching, coaching as well as group. I have a group program, and mm. then I also go into companies and do workshops for
0: similar topics for companies yes
1: huh how because if somebody is saying everything is fine or they are not um they're not focused you know when they're distracted at home they're distracted at the office and they're not as productive and profitable as they could be and that's where businesses come Mm -hmm. in to like how do i help my people be more productive
0: I'm laughing because this is a total segue. But because I don't know if you ever watched Grey's Anatomy, but I used to be a big fan of Grey's Anatomy. And there was this episode where one of the lead um, characters there um, was left on the altar. Her boyfriend left her. And so, but of course she was always presenting, uh, I'm strong, like I'm resilient, sort of like, I'm not crying over this thing. And so she went back to the hospital. She was a doctor. She went back to the hospital right away. And everybody's like, Oh, like, how are you? How are you doing? She's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. All day long, she's just, she's just I'm fine. I'm fine. And he, her friend, who's another doctor, is a bit sarcastic kind of person. He's like, he's, he's something like along the lines of, you've said the word, I'm fine, 200 times. It lost, it's lost its <laughs> meaning at this point. Cause it, it's become her defensive sort of, you know, mode. So that because she didn't want, I guess, yeah, she didn't want to be in touch with our feelings or didn't want to.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Don't That's a, a common thing that people don't want to feel the feelings or even acknowledge yeah. that they have them. And yet. Yeah, exactly. It's part of being human. We all have them and we have to do yeah. that. And yeah, fine, fine. Yeah. Anybody who's saying everything is fine is usually not at all. We need to stop letting people slip by by saying fine. No, but how are you really? Tell me what's really going on. Yeah, uh, tell me what's really going on. I love that. So
0: where can people find you, Laurie? I love, I love, love, love our conversation. Where can people find you?
1: The best place to find me is on my website. My company is called Zen Rabbit. So zenrabbit.com is where you can find the links to all my socials. I spend a lot of time mostly on LinkedIn. And uh, you can find a link to it on the website, zenrabbit.com. Twenty, I was not confident or secure in who I was. And today I am very much more confident, sure of who I am and excited about the direction I'm going in.
0: I want to thank Lori Seitz again for sharing her experience, insight, and of course, most importantly, her personal story with us. You'll find all the links to her website and all her social media deeds, as well as some highlights of this episode on the show notes at secondbreaks.com. Thank you, my listener friend, for joining me today. If you like this episode or podcast as a whole in general please do me a solid and share it with a friend or two word of mouth is still the best way to grow and by mentioning this podcast to a friend or two uh you will be helping me tremendously in you know growing our podcast i will be back with a new episode in a couple weeks time here's to a joyful and easeful week ahead and like i always say Keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans. Thank you for joining me, Laurie. And I'm so glad we're connected. My
1: pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. (laughs)